Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to The Impact Code, where we take deep dives into the stories and journeys of impact in the lives of our guests. Today's guests are Emily Nespajani and Bennett Smith of the American Heart Association. Let me tell you a little bit about each of them. Emily is the executive director of the Chattanooga chapter of the American Heart Association, which is one of the world's largest health organizations fighting heart disease and stroke, whose mission is to be a relentless force for a world of longer, healthier lives. And she has been with the American Heart Association for 15 years. In that time, Emily and her team have raised over $15 million to support life-saving research, education, and community impact programs. While most of her career has remained focused on the day-to-day operations and development for the organization, Emily's true passion is team building, which I think you will hear in this episode today, and encouraging moonshot thinking. In a recent interview, Nespajani shared that her most recent business practice is to try one thing outside of your comfort zone. It's a practice that she encourages both in her professional and personal life. Throughout her career, she served as a board member for Catholic Charities of East Tennessee, member for the Chattanooga Women's Leadership Institute, Development Committee for St. Peter and Paul Parish, and named 30 Under 30 in CityScope Magazine. Currently, Nespa Johnny serves on Hamilton County Health Department's Health Disparities Task Force, End Hunger Coalition for the Chattanooga Area Food Bank, and the Advisory Board for UTC's Master of Public Health Program. In her free time, Emily stays active running, hiking, camping, and fly fishing, or traveling with her two kids and husband. And now I'll tell you about our other guest, Bennett Smith. Bennett Smith is a development director for the American Heart Association in Chattanooga. He's passionate about the mission of the American Heart Association due to his family being affected by cardiovascular disease, his interest in health and wellness, and his motivation to make a difference, which I also think you will hear come through loud and clear on today's interview. Bennett, his wife, and two dogs enjoy doing anything outdoors around Chattanooga to stay healthy and have fun. Additionally, Bennett stays active, whitewater kayaking, has represented the USA at four freestyle kayaking world championships, answers on the North Chickamauga Creek Conservancy Board, and the Chattanooga Whitewater Committee. I can't wait for you all to hear the amazing impact that Emily and Bennett are having in the Chattanooga area. But before we dive in, I wanted to take a quick second and tell you about today's sponsor, Tower Community Bank. Tower Community Bank brings you today's episode completely free of charge. Tower pays for the hosting, for the marketing, for the equipment, for the impact code. And generally, if you're listening to the impact code, it's thanks to Tower Community Bank. So you can thank Tower Community Bank by visiting our website at www.towercommunitybank.com. Check out the accounts that we offer there. Check out the products that we offer there. And if there's something that interests you, please support the podcast by checking it out. You can also speak with a live video banker at any time by visiting virtual.towercommunitybank.com. Please go check it out. And now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Emily Nespajani and Bennett Smith. Emily and Bennett, welcome to The Impact Code. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Very excited. Awesome. Yeah, well, let's jump in. So I wanted to start today in talking about American Heart Association. And I'd love to start with just talking about the American Heart Association's mission and how you all accomplished that mission. 
Yeah. So uh, our mission is to be a relentless force for a world of longer, healthier lives, which is fairly broad. Uh, we've, we've moved from an organization, I would say that is, that was solely focused on treating the disease to now preventing. Honestly, if you take a look at our trajectory over the last 20 years, um, and we have a, a couple of the ways that we achieve that goals. We do 10 year impact goals where we say, okay, in the next 10 years, we want to achieve this this key benchmark. It's usually very metrics driven. And then we'll adjust a strategic plan every few years to make sure we're on target for that goal. Um, and it's something that's been a really cool thing to be a part of because you, you get to watch how those impact goals morph over the years and how we make progress towards, you know, creating healthier lives for people. Yeah, that's incredible. Emily, how long have you been with American Heart Association? Uh, it'll be 15 years in May. 15 years. That is awesome. So talk to me a little bit about, you talked about prevention. And can you tell me a little bit more about what is it that you all are trying to prevent and how are, how are you all attacking that problem? Absolutely. So a lot, we hope most people know, but cardiovascular disease and stroke is the number one killer of Americans. Obviously, that's a huge problem. When we were established in 1924, it was a group of cardiologists that got together and said, hey, we really got to, people are dying from heart attacks. We're just having to send them home. What are we going to do about it? And they pulled together to basically form the American Heart Association with the sole purpose of at least say, trying to keep people from dying. So yeah. then, you know, Almost a hundred years later, we take a look at this shift in, we've gotten pretty good at treating disease. If you think about someone has a heart attack, they're back at work on Monday. It's really remarkable. The progress that's been made, the surgeries, the techniques, the medicines. I feel really proud, you know, to be a part of an organization that's, that's made so much progress, but you can only do so so much treatment before we need to switch our focus on prevention. And so it's been interesting to watch the shift and take a look at what do people need and where are the biggest issues. Sometimes that looks more like what they have access to. And so prevention is uh, different than just, Hey, you know, eat your veggies and be good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's, do I have access to a physician at all? You know, can I afford yeah. food? You know, what are some of the barriers that exist? And so we're taking a really long, hard look at that over the last 10 years and just trying to provide education, baseline access for folks and give people a chance, no matter what their socioeconomic status is, to be healthier. Mm. Those are some really big problems that you're talking about addressing there when when you're talking about access. And I think it's it's really refreshing for me to hear that the focus has shifted to some of those things because when you are looking at treatment, you're looking at sort of the end result, not what's causing the issues. And it's so great to hear that you all have pivoted the, the way that you're addressing the problem more to the, the root cause and some of these things that factor in to heart disease over time. So that is really cool to hear. I'd love to hear just on a personal note, both Bennett and Emily, how did you all get plugged in to the American Heart Association? I can answer that one first. And 
Well, one of the thing I was going to say is, um, yeah, go ahead. As f- with re- prevention, a funny antidote that I was thinking about is a, a part of our prevention, um, entails what we call community impact programs. I thought it was necessary to mention that since, uh, we're on the impact code <laughs> podcast. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about those a little bit later in a, in a little bit, but, um, I thought I'd include that. And it just involves really, um, launching some programs in the communities that we're in around the nation um, to focus on prevention instead of um, just research and treating the disease, cardiovascular disease. But um, how, how I got plugged into the American Heart Association is we're both in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I've only been here for two years as opposed to Emily's um, 14. But I, I knew when I moved to Chattanooga that, I wanted to be in the nonprofit world. And so um, I was kind of perusing around and didn't want to move from Chattanooga because I, I love this area in this city. And this opportunity came open um, with the American Heart Association. I'm really passionate about the mission because my family's been affected by cardiovascular disease. And I'm really big on healthy lifestyle. It's what I'm passionate about. And so this was like a golden opportunity in the best city ever. And then I got to meet Emily in my interview and I was like, she'd be an incredible boss. And um, luckily I got the job and it's been awesome ever since. So that's how I've been plugged in. That's great, Bennett. And can you tell us a little bit about what your role is? Yes. So I'm a development director and basically entails just meeting people in the community and getting them involved. Um, in our organization to help, you know, support us with these community programs that I mentioned. Um, and then also just working to raise awareness through events that we yeah. organize. Wonderful. Thank you. And Emily, how about you? Yeah. So I started um, when I was just right out of college. I had uh, started my journey in like public health and cardiac rehab. So a little bit more on the clinical side. And one of my patients said, you should really go check out the American Heart Association. Uh, And so I did. (laughs) I did a six-month internship and the rest is history. Uh, Definitely feel most at home when I'm here. So been here and worked in a couple different cities with the organization. Um, But always my home base being in Chattanooga and just just love it so much. It is such an incredible organization. It makes it easy to spend so much time here. Yeah. And Emily, so Bennett had talked about, he, he sort of was intentionally looking for a role in the nonprofit sector. Was that your story as well? Was that an intentional move for you into sort of nonprofit work? Actually, no, I I thought I would be more clinical. Um, and so, but I realized very quickly that nonprofit was where I wanted to be as soon as I started to just to see the impact that you can make and the people that you meet, it blew me away. If you think about some of these volunteers, they own their own businesses, they have their own lives and they still show up for us every day out of the goodness of their heart. It's, it's incredible really. Um, and it's really yeah. inspiring. It makes, it just makes you want to do more. Yeah. Was there, a particular moment or a particular story when you knew that this was something you wanted to do long-term? Oh yeah. Yes. (laughs) Can you share that? 
I remember I was, oh gosh, it was right before I had my first little one and I was in a meeting and I used to, Bennett works with our Go Red for Women campaign. And that's sort of where I grew up in the organization as well. And, um, I sat down and met with a woman who was a survivor and she had been through her story is horrendous. And I'm so thankful that she's still with us today. She's very lucky, but she just, I remember we were sitting down for a meeting and we had finished the business of the day. And she said, before I leave, you know, can I give you a hug? And I said, well, of course. Uh, so she gave me a hug and she just said, thank you, you know, for what you do. Hmm. If you didn't, if you weren't here today, if you weren't pounding the pavement, I may not still be alive. And I remember that being such a profound moment for me and connecting the dots for why, you know, because the nonprofit life is not an easy, it's not an easy, you have limited resources. We wear a lot of hats. It can be really tough sometimes, but I always tell my teammates, you know, if you can stop and remember why we're doing it, and then you get to meet the faces of the people who are impacted most. I don't, I don't think I'll ever forget that. You know, it just, it was a game changer for me. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. And leading in the nonprofit space specifically is not something that I have done, but the executive coach that I worked with for years also did a lot of coaching within that space. And so I got to see sort of secondhand through him, the unique challenges that you have in motivating teams where maybe people aren't paid or they're not paid what they could be in the, in the for-profit sector for a similar role. And there's just some really unique challenges that you all have to face in leading uh, this type of organization. What are some of those obstacles that, that you've had to learn to sort of address as you've grown in your, in your leadership there? A couple things come to mind. I think that some of the, I'm lucky because the people who have been on board with us are really motivated by doing good work. And that helps, right? It just, there's this, this intrinsic motivation to do good work. And I'm so lucky that I'm surrounded by those folks on a regular basis. I would say that the only other thing that can sometimes be an obstacle and something I've learned is that it's really important to be vulnerable, I think, as a leader, right? And Mm. sometimes that can be a challenging thing to do when you're in charge and you have to make all the decisions. And, but I, I've, there's so much power and empathy and vulnerability and connecting with people when things are difficult and showing and showing your teammates that you're in it with them and that it's human to feel like this feels impossible sometimes. And I think staying connected is huge. And I've had the privilege of having leaders like that. I remember that was a game changer for me. And I hope that I can do that for my teammates. Um, and it's, I think it's an underestimated, uh, what's the word? I don't know, just something that isn't used enough or can often be overlooked as a leader. And, um, and then there's trust that's built and I've seen it change the game for my, for me and my team. I want to dive a little more into that because I completely agree with you. Vulnerability is, it's really tough to do, especially mm-hmm. in high pressure situations. Maybe you've got a, in your case, a fundraising goal to meet, or maybe you've got a really difficult situation that you're working through as a team. How do you find the courage to be vulnerable in those moments? And, and how has that resulted in, in sort of developing your team? 
Um, I don't know that. I think it just depends on it's a case by case scenario. It's it's not some, sometimes it comes a little bit more naturally than others. I'm a really big follower and fan of Brene Brown and have spent some time reading her books and listening to her podcasts and a lot of her thought. I really have an affinity for her thought processes and her teachings and her research, which has helped me, you know, in certain situations where the instinct might be to, you know, take over or, uh, put my foot down Um, instead using some of those practices and practicing vulnerability and sitting down and connecting or understanding what the underlying issue is or meeting people where they are can, well, I've noticed we'll just get us a lot further, a lot faster and we'll make progress as a team. So, you know, I don't know that it's finding courage other than, you know, sometimes I don't always get it right. A lot of times I don't get it right, but I think, just keeping that content in front of me so that I'm always, you know, being a student myself, um, Hmm. you know, I think can be just as important. That's really powerful. I love, I love that. Especially always being a student is, is a challenge, but it's also something that does keep you focused. Oh yeah. That's really powerful. Let's back out a little bit. Bennett, you mentioned earlier community impact programs. What is a community impact program? Thank you for asking. (laughs) So as Emily mentioned, the American Heart Association has been the largest funder of cardiovascular disease research um, outside of the federal government for years. Mm -hmm. And when we shifted to um, preventative measures, what we decided that was going to look like is implementing programs across the country and all of our different cities that we're in um, that address preventing cardiovascular disease. And these vary. They're not the same across the U.S. It's very dependent on what those cities specific needs. Mm. And um, not only just like, how are we going to help out a few people to maybe lower their blood pressure um, or how are we going to help students in one school quit tobacco and vaping, but what can we do like really strategically to affect um, the whole community or Mm. a large number of people in the community? So it's sustainable. It's going to last for years. And um, also it's going to affect, you know, actually really be effective um, and affect all the members of that community. Yeah. What does that look like in Chattanooga? Well, we um, have, have several programs that are going on right now. Um, and I'll, I'll probably t- toss that one over to Emily to kind of give the overview because we have a few exciting things. I, c- I don't know which ones to narrow down on. Yeah, Perfect. I know. I was just what I said, I wonder where he's going to start. We definitely, <laughs> a number of years ago when we built the board of directors back, you know, we had a local board of directors years ago. We decided to to bring them back, which is, has been a really important for us. And they, we brought some data to the table and had some local stakeholder interviews just to understand from other nonprofits, what are the biggest issues that they see plaguing Hamilton County and surrounding counties and just did a little fact finding mission, if you will. And once we had a good database database to work with, we put that in front of our board and we made some suggestions about, you know, through the lens of the American Heart Association, we think, you know, we see an opportunity for us to help with blood pressure. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but 
the blood pressure rates in Hamilton County are 30% higher than the national average, which blew wow. me away. Yeah. It's yeah, I didn't know that. Issue. We have about 50% of people walking around with high blood pressure and a good half wow. of those folks don't even know that they have high blood pressure. You know, mm. it's not like we see everyone walk around with a blood pressure cuff. It's just not something you think of off the top of your head. But blood pressure is not a, you know, it's something that pops into people's minds, your biggest health threat, because we talk about a lot of other things, right. but really it is the, the baseline to your health because it's a silent killer. It can affect so many other organs and be a leader to other chronic diseases. So it was a, and it's a leading indicator to heart disease. So we're paying close attention to that. Um, vaping in yeah. teens, one in four self-reported teens are vaping these days. Our youngest wow. offender in Hamilton County last year was a third grader. I had a third grader wow. last year. That scared the, the, oh yeah. Anyway, so That's scary. Um, yeah. you got to pay attention to those two things. And then we ended up actually in the second year, um, digging into some nutrition security work as well. There's a lot of great organizations doing some great work, but where we saw, some impact that we could make was by helping not just food insecurity, but nutrition security. So taking that up a notch mm. instead of providing yeah. food, how could we make sure that it was healthy food or how could we change healthy behaviors with food, uh, whether you had access or not. Wow. And so those are our three priorities and a couple of the programs we have launched right now, really the biggest thing is working with community centers and clinics on some blood pressure programming and getting kits in the hands of as many people as possible. And then mm-hmm. um, just so that we could track improvement. And yeah. then we have a healthy for life cooking class with some resources that we're doing in the community and then some educational programming in schools around uh, it's really holistic, but vaping is a huge part of that. So those are just, that's high level. Some of the things that we've started mm-hmm. to brush the surface on blood, the blood pressure program, because there was such a gap is taking, is taking off the fastest. There's clearly a need for help there. And so we're partnering yeah. with local health organizations, the health department, the community centers for through the city and some clinics. So it's been, it's been a great and rewarding project to get started on. Yeah. Those are some really staggering numbers for all three of those things. And I hadn't even heard of the concept of nutrition security. So I had heard of the concept of food security, of course, but I've never heard anyone talk about nutrition security. And where does that idea come from? Is that your, your idea as the American Heart Association or where did this concept come to your attention? Yeah, I always say that's the that's American Heart Association slang for food insecurity. That's our that's how the way we think about it. Um, yeah, you know, truly because if you think about and we're you know we partner with a lot of local organizations on this work. So hospital systems, the food bank, anybody who is a good partner in this space, and there are many. We try to think about if we're giving food to people, how do we make sure then we're also preventing chronic disease with that food. Food's powerful. Food is medicine. And we understand Mm -hmm. that it can be a tool, uh, but it can also be your biggest enemy if you're not careful. Um, but it's again, like we talked about earlier, it's multifaceted, right? It's layered food's expensive. There's, there's some tricky components to it. So we're trying to look at it from a holistic approach 
and take it project by project and see what's working. And we learn a lot each time we're in the community doing work. And then we just shift and, and change some things and change up our incentives and see what works. Yeah. Very cool. So how have you all changed? And I'd love to hear from each of you on this question. How have you all changed as a result of working with the American Heart Association and doing the work that you do? Go ahead, Bennett. I, yeah. So personally, I would say getting up close and personal with these issues in our specific community has just helped me be a lot more aware of the work we still have to do. Um, and it's made me more motivated to, to address those issues. So, cause before I, I want to say maybe I, I had blinders on about, I didn't know that the youngest, uh, student in Hamilton County was in third grade that started vaping. I didn't know that, um, blood pressure was so prevalent in Hamilton County. So that's really motivated me to, um, just even work harder to fight those. And then also what Emily touched on about like the coolest part of this job or one of the coolest things is getting to be around volunteers that are just so motivated. They don't have to give us their time or their resources, but they choose to. And um, a lot of times they're just really great leaders and really great, great individuals and just getting to learn from them. Um, it also motivates me and you know, it makes me want to just give back more, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Emily? Yeah. I would say, uh, it's taught me that, you know, we can do hard things that seem insurmountable. Mm. Sometimes there's something really powerful about that. It also has changed me as uh, a wife and a mom. I think, you know, I have two little ones, one on the way. And, you know, I think about, how we eat. I think about how we, you know, get more activity. I think about social and emotional health, you know, it just changes the way you think about everything because of what you see every day. So that was kind of one of those things I wasn't expecting as a result of my career, but, um, you know, I choose my foods a little bit more carefully. I choose my lifestyle a little bit more carefully. And then I think the last thing it would be the empathy piece I mentioned earlier, just because of what we see and the people that we meet, um, it kind of changes you. Yeah. I don't know how it wouldn't. Yeah. (laughs) Were there moments along the way that maybe you wanted to throw in the towel that were just particularly difficult? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 2020, the whole year. Uh, yeah, yeah. it was the toughest year of my career for sure. Spent a lot of time on the phone trying to save as many funds as possible to keep our operation up and running. And, um, you know, I remember multiple occasions looking up at my husband while my kids were doing virtual school and I was, you know, just this Uh, struggle for so many, right. You know, everyone dealt with this in their own way. But I remember I told him, I said, this may be this may be what breaks us. We'll see. And of course it all ended up working out. And in fact, in, in hindsight, it was one of the more rewarding experiences because I learned so much in such a short time. Yeah. How did you, how did you keep going in those moments that are so high stress and high pressure? And Emily, for you, I imagine you also have the pressure of your team and wanting to provide for your team and your family. And so how do you keep going in those moments? 
just what you said that the teammates, they, they still need a livelihood, right? So that's very organic. Also heart disease didn't stop because of COVID, you know, because of the pandemic. In fact, it was worse. It was heightened. Mm. And so if there was ever a time for us to stand up and get through it and figure it out, that was probably it. And so there was something that that was a driver for sure for me. Yeah. Bennett, how about you? Did you have any moments uh, so far that have been particularly challenging? I would say I'm glad Emily mentioned the pandemic. That was a little bit before I got here. Um, so proud of them for getting through that. I, I would say that um, I'm really lucky because of the culture we have here. Maybe a cliche answer, but the, the culture that Emily has instilled makes it easier in the hard times and remembering our mission. Um makes it easier. But I will say we do have some pretty lofty internal goals that we hold ourselves to, Um, you know, whether it be our community impact programs or raising funds for our mission. And at times it does feel daunting. Um, And I would just say I've come to find out over the past two years here that the kind of the way we get through it is um, just through how generous and willing to help the community of Chattanooga is. And the mm. more people I meet, um, the more volunteers of ours that I get to know. Um, and the more I get to know our community, the less likely I feel like giving up, I guess, because they they have come through whenever it seems like, um, man, that goal is going to be, you know, hard to hit or these, these, um, these things we've set out we want to achieve. Are we going to be able to do it? Um, they always come through and that's how we're able to make it happen. How would you describe your culture? You talked about the culture being one of those things that's been really fortunate for you to have. What kind of words would you use to describe your team's culture there? Um, I would say that Emily is awesome at inspiring, like inspiring our vision of where we want to go. And, you know, even if it is like, man, that's a, you know, lofty goal. How are we going to get there? Um, she gives us the support to kind of like do it our own way. Um, and so there's, there's flexibility in how we want to go about our work, which is really freeing. And, but we all know where we're going and trying to get to. And so I think that's really cool that she really inspires a vision, gets us excited to be bold to attain it, but we can kind of do it in our own way. Um, you know, autonomously, which really is awesome and helps. Mm, I love that. Emily, from your perspective, how do you know where the right metric is for those goals? How do you know you're not going too high to where the team is going to get discouraged or not too low to where the team's not going to be motivated because it's not exciting enough? Well, we do an exercise each year where I bring the team together and they do their homework. You know, they establish, here's where we each wanted to be. They build a plan for themselves and I let them set their benchmark, you know, their baseline. And then, you know, I'm watching Bennett's face right now, but sometimes I'll challenge them. So if they come to me and I know they're capable of more, they know I'm coming back and saying, tell me about this number or, you know, because sometimes we can be safe, right? We can, 
Yeah. This is what I know I can do. So this is what I'm going to turn in. And, but I know what they're capable of, you know, mm-hmm. Bennett and his teammates are so talented. Like they, there's not anything that they can't do. So sometimes we'll challenge that status quo. We also take a look at what the goals are across our region, right? We're part of a much bigger team than Chattanooga. And mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll see what is that goal? How does that break down amongst, amongst the region and each of the states and cities? And how can we as a team contribute to that? So we may have thought, here's the number we think we can deliver. And here's the impact we can deliver as a team. But then sometimes it may mean that we do a little bit more to contribute to the overall good. Um, and one of the things I think I really enjoy is watching our team say we can do a couple hundred more because we, you know, I don't even have to lay that out for them. They do Mm. that intrinsically. They want to be a part of the bigger picture, which is really inspiring. That is really inspiring. And it doesn't exist everywhere. I've, I've (laughs) been a part of many organizations where people are okay with hitting those goals uh, or getting kind of that bare minimum number. Bennett, I saw your eyebrows go up when she was talking about those goals. Do you have uh, anything to add? (laughs) Well, something that I forgot to mention is as a leader, she's very good at helping us keep on track of like what we set out at the beginning. Cause we do, it is like, very democratic that we, everyone has a say in what we want to set our goal as, mm-hmm. but she helps inspire that vision throughout the year and re- remind us what we set out to do. Um, what are some of the ways? Yeah. What are some of the ways that she does that, that are meaningful to you personally? Um, just always, I guess, empowering us to be like, you know, you can do this and giving us ideas of, um, of how, and kind of just, providing us resources when we need to and support. Um, and then otherwise kind of letting us go at it our, ourselves, which I like as well. So she's always knows she's always there whenever we um, need her. And um, she's always going to just keep us pointing in the right direction, what we set out to do. Mm. So Emily, from your perspective, you've got these big goals out there that are part of a, a, larger, a much larger goal uh, that runs organizationally. How, how do you view that? We heard Bennett's perspective. How do you view breaking down those goals into maybe more bite-sized chunks or touch points with your team? Well, I actually just had this conversation earlier today because we were talking about, we have a team goal, right? So everyone's in no matter what, if one person has a rough year and the other one has a great year, that team goal is all that matters, which has been really motivating. I think, you know, I would say, but one of the things that we talk about is you built your plan at the top of the year. What is Mm -hmm. your piece first? Focus on your piece of the pie. And then, and then beyond that, how can we help for the greater good of the team? And so, cause sometimes we can't see the forest beneath the trees. We Mm -hmm. have a lot of minutia that comes at us. It can be overwhelming. So how do we stop and say, okay, I know this is my piece. Let me focus on that. We have weekly huddles where we kind of dive into the details and uh, talk about how we can work together. But for the most part, if we just stay focused on our piece, and, uh, you know, I'll worry about the big picture. 
mm-hmm. and then pull together those opportunities where we can. And that, that, uh, can sometimes be helpful because it helps reset if, you know, they see the big goal and I start to see the wheels turn and the panic set in. If we just stay focused on each of their individual pieces, then as all ships will rise, you know, so just reminding really of that. Um, I just remember what it was like to be in that seat and feel really nervous about, you know, holy cow, we've got to get to this number. And, and I was so focused on the big number that I forgot about my own piece. And if I just stayed focused step by step, day by day, you know, it's like the old, how do you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? There's really no difference here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just kind of how we, I try to think about it anyway. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So I read a book on a recommendation of a friend a few years back and it's called when helping hurts. Have you all heard of this book? A chance. Okay. So it, the, someone just uh, told me about it. Yeah. So it's an interesting book and it basically talks about how there are certain ways that we want to help and we have great intentions, but sometimes the actions result in the opposite outcome than than what we're trying to achieve. And so I wanted to ask you all and and give you all a chance to share, are there ways that people, really well-intentioned people are trying to help, but maybe uh, that isn't resulting in the right result? And if so, how can they rechannel that in energy to do something more helpful and more productive? Uh, I have an example of this, actually. This happens more than you would think. Um, you know, we have... I can think about it in two different ways. We Sometimes we'll have people who will come to me and they'll say, or to one of us and say, we want to do this project in this school. And they pick mm-hmm. their... They cherry pick their school where they want to do a very specific project. And it's an incredible idea. It has some legs to it. I think it would be really impactful, but sometimes we have to step back and remind those volunteers or passionate folks that our commitment is to make impact to as many people as possible. And so Mm -hmm. we try to look at it and, and reframe it and say, you know, I'll use a very specific example. Actually, we had someone say, we wanted, we want to come and sort of pay to help certify just this one school in CPR. And so I said, mm. well, that's an important initiative of ours, but it's difficult as the American Heart Association to cherry pick a school, right? Because we want to make impact yeah. for all students. And mm-hmm. so what we did is we kind of took it to the next level and engaged some passionate volunteers who shared their the impact they wanted to make. And we went to the state level and made it mandatory for all schools to at least upon graduation have one CPR class. And so you think about shifting that focus, you know, but the, they were so gung ho in that first conversation that they wouldn't hear anything, but just the one school. Right. And then they set up conversations and we started to see it spiral and, and it didn't align with our mission necessarily. And so we were able to course correct, but that's, that's an example of, yeah you know, one thing. And then, then the other, the other time where this has happened is when people are just trying to help us raise money and mm-hmm. they go and they, they bring on a, a sponsor who maybe doesn't align with our values, a sugary, you know, company that, ha- you know, that sells mm-hmm. donuts or what have you. And we have to explain why we absolutely need that for those fundraising dollars. We also have to maintain the integrity of who we are as an organization. Uh, yeah. And, not in good faith could take money from those who were, were trying to, you know, so there's a little bit of a conflict there. So sometimes we have to have tough conversations on the, on the back end and explain why it's not that we don't desperately need that money, but we also 
um, you know, have a mission to, to keep moving forward and we want to maintain the integrity of what we set out to do. Yeah. Those are really powerful ways. I think that you can rechannel that energy. And I, I really found that first story fascinating how the initial scope was somewhat limiting. And then you were able to broaden that to something that has a much wider, much bigger impact. What was that process like? Was that, was that difficult? Were there moments when you thought maybe it wouldn't go through or was it pretty organic as you started having conversations to shift focus to a much broader issue? It was really challenging, especially because sometimes lobbying for something statewide can take so much time. And when you have someone who's very passionate and has have the funds at their fingertips and are ready to go do it, you know, you, you have to establish sort of rapport, patience, understanding, buy-in. So it takes time. However, uh, you know, and, and there were, there was one who was really frustrated and just wanted to do it, you know, just to be real. Sometimes that happens in the process, yeah. but overall, you know, it took a couple years, but we, we did what we can't, what we set out to do. And we're so proud of that. And, and it's expanded to, you know, 40 plus other States as a result. Wow. And so to me, that's such a win. Um, and we want yeah. to bring them back to the school and celebrate that, you know, Hey, you were this started with an idea for one school, but look what we can do, you know? So Wow. That's so cool. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thanks. Yeah. She's definitely had to reel me in. That was going to be my example is because I've gotten, you know, one of the things I mentioned is so motivating is seeing this work that we want to help fix. And um, Emily's had to, you know, I'll be speaking with the donor and we'll be excited to do something maybe that, that it will affect one school or one population of people that's smaller Mm-hmm. And Emily will help me take a step back and be like, you know, we need to be because we wear a lot of hats, mm-hmm. put our capacity and our focus somewhere where it's going to really make a sustainable change across a large group of people. Um, and, you know, instead of just affecting one school, it might grow to something that affects 40 states. And um, we're lucky because the American Heart Association kind of gives us guidelines that help us understand what is a sustainable project that is, is worth taking on. And so um, just trying to help spread that word now and making sure we're, you know, putting our efforts somewhere that's really going to make a true impact on the health of um, people in Hamilton County, Tennessee. Mm, that's wonderful. So how can people help? What, what's the best way for people to get involved? Let's say there's someone listening now that maybe is, near Hamilton County or in Hamilton, Hamilton County, and they want to get involved, what is the best way for them to plug in? Go ahead, Bennett. Well, there's, there's a few different ways. And I'd say that the easiest is to visit our website and reach out to us, which is just heart.org. Really easy. Just heart.org slash Chattanooga. If you're listening in the Chattanooga area, but also, um, no matter where you are, if you just go to heart.org, there's a ton of really cool resources that people can look at, um, you know, to help work on their own health or help to, to spread to their friends and family. But there's also a search bar where you can find your local office and it kind of prompts you on how to get involved um, or how to reach out to your local market where you're, where you're from. 
Awesome. I love that. And what are, what are the most common ways that people can help? Is that financial? Is that time? If it's time, you know, what, what kinds of things are people helping with from that perspective? Well, it definitely varies um, city by city, geographic region by geographic region, but you know, uh, supporting monetarily with the donation is always is always great to help us with our mission, with the community impact programs, and finding the next big breakthrough in cardiovascular disease care. But um, we're always looking for volunteers at our different events, and then in some cases in our community impact programs. And so the best way to go about it would be to reach out to the local market, I would say. And um, Emily, if you want to add on to that, please do. Yeah, I would say there's there's all sorts of different, you know, depending on what your capacity is or availability. <clears throat> you know, if you wanted a one-time volunteer opportunity to come join us in the evening or day of an event, you know, just to come help register people or come to the office. We, we have a building downtown home, an old home that was donated to us. We call it the Heart House. Uh, and we love it so much. It feels like home to us. And a lot of our volunteers will come and sit and visit with us. And so you could, you could literally, you know, come once a week and help do clerical things if that's what you're comfortable doing, or you could, uh, start a heart walk team if you're passionate about that. And, and, uh, you could volunteer on a committee once a month and have more of a sustainable long-term volunteer. If you're an executive, and you want to make a bigger impact, we have executive leadership teams that help us move our mission forward through strategic initiatives. So there's really, it runs the gamut, you know, depending on what works best for, for folks in their time. Yeah, that's awesome. So there are a lot of ways to get plugged in and a lot of different capacities really just based on how people want to plug in, which is awesome. Yeah. So I hear around the time we're releasing this episode that Heart Month is kicking off. So what is Heart Month? And uh, tell us why it's so important to American Heart Association. Heart Month is like our Super Bowl. That's what I always say. You know, it is is our landmark month where we really push our messaging around awareness that heart disease is your number one killer. Usually we try to have some sort of theme or concept or key messaging that we put out. Uh, This year it's be the beat, which uh, has a very specific focus on CPR. CPR has gotten a lot of attention lately, um, which I'm, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, very glad that there's a spotlight shown on it because Cardiac arrest um, is the number one killer across the world. And then, you know, here in the States, uh, we have so many out-of-hospital cardiac arrests that occur. And people just aren't comfortable as bystanders to do anything. And it is, we're losing people right and left. And we see about 90% of cardiac arrests happen outside the hospital, which means Mm. A good three out of four of those are at home, which means you might be doing CPR on a loved one. And mm. we just want to empower at least, we kind of have a little challenge for the month of February. We want, we always want companies to go red, right? We want them wearing red, taking photos, mm. doing lunch and learns. We want buildings going red. We want everybody talking about it in a perfect world. Um, but to take yeah. that a step further this year, we're spending a little extra time talking about CPR and we want every family to have at least one person who knows hands only CPR, just 
They don't have to be necessarily certified, although that would be great. Uh, but just yeah. have some knowledge about what hands-only CPR is and how to save a life in an emergency, uh, because we think that that will drastically change those rates I talked about. Yeah, that's a big impact thing. If someone is interested in getting certified, is that something that you all help with as well? Absolutely. We have a couple certified, like American Heart Association certified training centers here, and we'll we'll get them connected and set them up with the class. No problem. That's something that you don't think about needing until you're in that moment. And exactly. And that's a scary time to not know what to do. Yeah. Have you ever mm-hmm. had to perform CPR before? I haven't. And, you know, I've had a couple instances where I have been certified in the past due to being a lifeguard and things like that, but I've never had to actually perform CPR. I feel pretty comfortable that I would know how to do it still, but I, you got me even thinking like, maybe I should go through a refresher and Good. and just be sure, you know, that way I'm a hundred percent sure that if something happens, like I know exactly what to do. Yeah. Well, that's a good set. That's one of the things that we are talking a lot about is even if you aren't certified or you've you're, it's going to be a while before you have the chance to get recertified. We talk about hands only, which is new research from the American Heart Association. It's two steps. It's call 911 and then push hard and fast in the center of the chest to the tune of staying alive by the Bee Gees. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. now if I'm talking to middle schoolers or elementary schoolers, I'll have to use another song. We have a Spotify playlist. Yeah. It's about yeah. <laughs> it to stick. Some people are there we go. blank stairs, but uh, yeah, we do. We talk about um, hands only CPR a lot because we had a, we even had a teacher in North Georgia recently who we just went in and did a little hands only demo with him and just taught them mm-hmm. that. And two weeks later, he went into cardiac arrest in front of his students and his students and some fellow faculty gathered around him, did hands only. They didn't even do breaths. They just like I talked about wow. and they were singing staying alive by the Bee Gees to keep them on beat and they saved his life. And so wow. we just don't want to ever underestimate the power of having like, if that's a really th- just remember those two things until the paramedics can get there and statistically yeah. it can work. So. Wow. That's an incredible story. So what advice would you all give And either or both of you can answer this to someone? One of the things that we talk about on the impact code is people who are just starting out and trying to find their path to having their impact. And maybe they haven't found the right thing or maybe they have and they're just getting started. What advice would you have for them um, to help them get started on their journey? Go ahead, Bennett. I think I have a good one. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's really helpful to have um, an awesome mentor. And I have that in Emily at our office. But I guess when you're trying to find out what you're passionate about, I'm pretty newer into the nonprofit world and at the American Heart Association. But I kind of figured, you know, what, what am I passionate about? I kind of had trouble deciding. And so I reached out to people that were in areas that I thought I might be interested in. Yeah. And just kind of ask them like what their day to day was like and how did they feel about their work. Um, I did that for a lot of different nonprofits and like careers and a couple of people at the American Heart Association. Um, and that just kind of helped me find out where my passions lie and where I would want to make the most of an impact. And I still like am working on doing this all the time is just 
seeing, you know, where I want to be or where I want to make an impact in different areas in the future and just try to reach out to people that are doing that and ask their advice. Um, mm. And if you don't really know, uh, you can just start talking to people that you think, you know, might be doing something that, that you might want to do. That's great advice, Bennett. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. I, I, my answer is not that different, really. Mentorships, no matter what, what place you are in your career, you know, you may be mid-career and you spend a lot of time doing what you're doing, but you decide, I feel like I need to do, I want to make an impact or I want to switch careers altogether. You know, I still have a couple mentors that have been so amazing for me as I'm thinking about you know, my future in nonprofit and, you know, am I being the best leader I can be or whatever that looks like the, am I making the most impact I can in the seat that I'm in? Right. So sometimes it's not even just diving in, it's your trajectory there on there out. So I don't know. I think, yeah, staying connected to people, perspective, volunteering, keeping your eyes open, those types of things can be, uh, really opening. I think. I, th- I think so too. That's great advice, Emily. Thank you. Is there anything else that either of you would like to mention or share today before we wrap up? The, the last big thing I wanted to say is I'm so happy we're able to get uh, connected with you guys and Tower Community Bank because I've, I've gotten to know Tower Community Bank and um, Lori and, and Mark over there thanks to their support and y'all support of the Go Red for Women movement specifically. And so we're just so grateful for you guys' support having us on this podcast. Um, and I think it's only natural that I, I, you guys are sponsoring the local impact display at one yeah. of our events. And so we're going to be talking about... It's essentially an opportunity to talk about the work we're doing in the community and the impact we're having to everyone who comes to one of our events and uh, we're just grateful to have you guys support there to help us do this. So we're happy to support you and partner with you and hopefully we'll continue to do so for many years to come. Thanks Bennett. Awesome. Yeah. We appreciate the platform to have the conversation. The more we, we can talk about, you know, the issues, the more we can reach people and the more people who lean in to help us, the faster we'll achieve our goals. So we're just really appreciative. Yeah. We're, we're thankful for you all too. And the great work that you're doing in, in Chattanooga. Emily and Bennett, thank you both so much for being on today. And I hope we will talk again sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. Emily and Bennett, thank you so much for being on the Impact Code and for taking time to share your journeys to impact there. You all are making a huge difference in Chattanooga and a huge difference in this state. And I'm so thankful that we had the chance to meet and the chance to share and elevate your story. If you're listening and you want to know more about the American Heart Association, you can reach out at heart.org. I would encourage each of you to visit heart.org and to see what's happening in your local community and find a way to get involved. Emily and Bennett talked about several ways to do that in this episode. Find a way to get plugged in to the difference that's being made in your community by the American Heart Association. If you enjoyed today's episode of The Impact Code, it would mean a great deal to me if you could take a few seconds and hit that five-star button on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Leave us a review. Send me an email at podcast 
at towercommunitybank.com. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so that you never miss our newest episode. They drop every Thursday at midnight. One big final thanks to Tower Community Bank for making this podcast happen and for putting on the impact code. If you listened to today's episode and you enjoyed it, don't forget to visit towercommunitybank.com. Find a way to get involved there and to plug into what Tower Community Bank is doing because I promise you there's something for you. Whether this was your first episode or whether you've listened to everyone, I want to thank you for your time and your attention. I know there's so many things that you could be listening to. And the fact that you chose to listen to this episode of The Impact Code means the world to me. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you back here again for the next episode of The Impact Code. Bye. (laughs) 